right, I'm going to uh, get into a new series today. Uh, some of you are asking how long the other series was going. That could either be a good ask or a bad ask. Ask, all right? Because um, I know what that means as a pastor. It also means that I just finished first service and I'm trying to put my notes in the right order. That's a scary thing for a pastor, too. Can I get an amen, Kenny, on that one? Come on. All right. No, nope, that's not the right page. Hold on. There we go. All right, I'm getting my act together up here. I'm ready, I think. Here we go. Here's the deal. Uh, how many of you got anything out of the last series? Was it helpful to you, all right? Good. It, and, and the reason some of you are clapping is because here's what, here's what I know. You acted on what I asked you to do. I was talking with a man this morning. He said, Pastor, I had fallen back into some sin. I had fallen back into some old addictions. And he said, when I came that Sunday morning and you were preaching about killing your flesh and using the tool of fasting, he said it was as if God himself was speaking directly to me. Have any of you had that experience in church? Where God, sometimes I've had people go home, they elbow their spouse and they say, did you tell pastor? Boy Scouts honor, all right? I never will preach a sermon to you based on any information I have about you. That is bad. But the Holy Spirit will read your mail every Sunday if you come expecting him to speak to you. How I many you know that's the flat-out truth? This man was in tears this morning. He said, listen, Pastor, he said, I knew that that's exactly what I needed to do. I've started fasting, and you know what he says? It's amazing. The clarity, how God's speaking to me in the Word, the strength I have on my inner man to say no to sin. But you'll never, ever, ever, ever experience what I just said unless you actually implement the weapon. You've got to pick up the sword. You've got to swing it. Uh, but if you'll swing that sword, you will have victory in so many areas of your life. In fact, I encourage you, even in the great seasons, when you're not dealing with any of that, just fast for more of God. Just say, God, I want to know you more. I want to walk with you more. I want to enjoy you more. Make it a part of your lifestyle and watch what God will do. But here's the deal. We've been talking about lifelines. I want to just, I, I was having some thoughts this week, which is always a scary thing. But here's the deal. We're talking about all these lifelines, right, to hold on, to get grace from God so that we survive. We talked about prayer, fasting, or praying the scriptures, sitting under the word of God, daily Bible time, quiet time, in the secret place, I mean, right, worship, corporate worship. Um, here's my question to you. Will we need any of those lifelines in heaven or on the new earth with Jesus Christ? Are you gonna, here's, here's a question for you. I just want to ask you. Are you going to wake up and have a quiet time the way that you do now? Never again. You know why? You're going to be in the presence of the one that the book was telling you about. Are you ever going to cry out most of those prayers that David prayed in the Psalms? God, help! No, because you won't need that kind of help. Because all your enemies will be forever defeated. Including the enemies inside of you. Do you realize that the lifelines that we need are for now? Because of the context in which we find ourselves. You know, it says in 1 first, in first Peter chapter 4, Peter says this to the Christians. He says, why do you think it's strange that you're going through these fiery afflictions, trials, etc. As if it were something unusual. That's a word for somebody right now. Why is it that when we go through hardship, we start wondering like if, God, if God's on vacation. Or God quit being God. Or we start wondering, why am I going through these hard times? I get it, they're hard times, and I'm not mocking anybody that's going through a hard time and has cried this week. But here's what I am challenging us. Why are we acting like it's weird? Yeah. 
Why are we acting like we're somehow immune from hardship? We're living in a battle-contested war zone right now. There's a whole third of the demonic angels, you know, that are working overtime to destroy you, to keep people in blindness. We're living in, a, in an earth, planet earth, that the Bible says Romans 8 is groaning for its full redemption. It's groaning. The planet right now, ah, groaning if we could hear in the spirit. It's not a pretty sight. The planet's groaning. Why would we expect that somehow we're going to go through life and not ever groan along with everything else that's groaning? Or never go through the challenges or hardships or difficult seasons of life as if it's strange, Peter said. It's not strange. In fact, how many know good people, God-loving people, uh, go through difficult seasons? And so in seeking the Lord, like, Lord, what's next? I know where we're going after Easter. But I felt the Lord really wanted me to encourage you with this series called Cave Time. Think, all right, Pastor, that sounds really encouraging. Um, basically, you've told us so far that life's a bummer and then we die. Okay, I hope it gets uphill from here, all right? No, cave time is where we learn incredible lessons from the Father in the dark. And there's great lessons to be learned in the dark when you feel like you're in a pit. But what's a cave? Let's talk about that for a minute. A cave is at least four things it's a place of death, it's a place where we learn how to die to ourselves. So God will send you into the cave for a season to deal with your flesh and to crucify it. It's also a place of testing. How many of you figured out when the rough times come, that's when the real you comes out of your mouth? And if you're shaking your fist at God or you're saying, wait, what, you didn't hold up your end of the deal, whatever, just know that that's, that's the real you coming out. And how many of you know it's at the cave seasons of our life that reveal the real us in our hearts? If you find that you're murmuring, you're complaining, you're critical, uh, that's because your world's being upset a little bit. You're doing some cave time and God's exposing what's in you. How about this one? It's a place of separation. Have you ever been in your cave where the Lord begins to show you all the idols that you put your trust and confidence in? There's nothing like a good season in a cave to show you, hey, you've been, you've been putting your hope in all these other things and none of those things will ever satisfy or deliver the goods. How about this? It's a place of breaking where God breaks us down. But here's the good part. He breaks us down so he can always build us up. We never go through any of the trials. I shared this with you. You'll never go through a trial in your life that will leave you weaker or with less. You always come out with more and stronger. We've got to get this in our hearts. If we cooperate with God through the test and the trial, he brings us through the other side. We look better, smell better, act better, stronger, more beautiful, more like Jesus on the other side. Always. Whenever God is crushing you, it's always to rebuild you better than ever. God's cave time is his school that he sends all of his kids to. It's the university where he trains us how to experience his glory and his goodness. Now, sometimes if I'm going through a difficult time, and I've had seasons in my life that I would call extended seasons in the cave. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. But then I begin to, you know, as soon as I want to have my temper tantrum or my pity party, I'm glad that I read the Bible because it just reminds me that what are you talking about? Why are you having a pity party? How about, how about this? Joseph did some pit time and prison time, didn't he? Joseph turned out pretty good, I think. How about Moses in his time wandering around in the desert for 40 years, and yet God fulfilled his plan for Moses' life in an incredible way? How about Jeremiah being thrown into a pit, a prophet, a man of God? What kind of treatment is that for a man of God? Well, every man of God will do some pit time. Daniel had his lion's den, did he not? 
And how about the Apostle Paul writing most of the New Testament while he was in a nasty prison cell for the sake of the gospel? And lest we forget, isn't it beautiful that Jesus never asked us to do cave time without first going ahead of us and doing a little cave time of his own? We're going to celebrate that cave time and the resurrection from that cave time in a couple of Sundays on Resurrection Sunday. But Jesus knows what it's like to go through cave time. But here's what I love. Aren't you glad that the Bible contains cliff notes, so to speak? Anybody remember cliff notes in this room? Are they still popular out there? Are young bucks still using cliff notes? Hannah's shaking her head. Yes, cliff notes are still in existence. For those of you that didn't even read the cliff notes, let me help you out. When I was in school, the teacher would assign this big honking book not like Miss Braley. I'm sure you have mercy on your students. But you know those teachers that give you those way oversized books. And then they expect you to be tested on those books. But your life is busy. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And so what do you do? You go to the bookstore and you look for Cliff Notes. I don't know who Cliff was, but thank God for that brother, all right? Because Cliff read the book. And Cliff condensed that book in all of its magnitude and magnificence. Cliff squeezed the, the juice out of the lemon for us. And he summarized all the main points, what the characters stand for, what's the plot, what's going on, what is the takeaway that makes this book a book that we're still reading today. Thank God for Cliff, all right? Now, I'm not suggesting you read only Cliff Notes. Please read the book and the Cliff Notes, but... Thank God for Cliff Notes when they're there. That was for all the teachers who are out in the audience today, lest I teach our students bad habits. Okay, here's the cool thing. Out of the 150 Psalms, how many did David write? He didn't write all of them. Half of them, 75 of the Psalms David wrote. Out of the 75 Psalms that David wrote, guess how many he wrote in a stinking cave? Three. Guess what we're going to do for the three weeks ramping up to Resurrection Sunday? I want us to spend some cave time. And David didn't read cliff notes. He wrote his own cave notes, all right, for us to read. We're going to read some cave notes because here's the cool thing. I'm grateful I don't have to learn all these uh, responses, godly responses, on my own. I'm glad that I can learn from wiser people and more anointed people than myself. Anybody say amen to that one? You don't have to. I like what Pastor Dick says. Let's make new mistakes, Let's not make the same old mistakes. Let's make new mistakes. David spent some time in a cave, lots of time. In fact, while he was in the cave, amazingly enough, he writes three worship songs that we're still reading today. So I want you to get your Bibles open to a very embarrassing moment in David's life. This is found in 1 Samuel 21. I'm going to start reading in verse 10. Actually, we're not going to read it, but I'm going to walk you through it together. You can open there and follow along. But this is the backdrop for Psalm 34, which we are going to read today. Psalm 34. David had lost his place of favor, first of all, in Saul's house, kicked out of Saul's house. Saul took David's wife away from him. Saul lost his best friend, Jonathan. And now he's running from the king, who is seeking to kill him. Not just the king after him, but the king and all the king's army after David to Kill him. I mean, this is a serious situation. And what happens next is David runs to the priest because he's famished. He's got his men with him, a handful of guys. They're hungry. There's nothing to eat. So they eat the communion bread. They went to the priest. They eat the consecrated bread uh, from the temple. And uh, 
and that's David's food for the day. David has nothing. While he's there, he grabs Goliath's sword. Now, this is an amazing moment. He grabs this massive sword from this massive giant. In fact, the Bible tells us Goliath was about nine feet tall. Goliath makes Shaquille O'Neal look tiny, all right? Goliath was a monster. David cut his head off with that sword, and now David realizes he's running for his life. He's got nothing, and he, he has a, one good thought. I'm going to take this sword with me. Now, how many of you know that is a massive sword that a massive man swung? So David grabs the sword, but then David has a panic attack, and maybe some of you can relate, because there was an informant there who saw David show up in the temple, and the informant went and told King Saul, and David knew that he had been exposed. So David, in a moment of panic, makes a really dumb decision. Here's what David decides. I'm going to take this sword from this giant Philistine whose head I just removed. I'm going to take this sword and go to Gath. Gath was where Goliath was from in the heart of Philistine country. And I'm going to go find refuge among the Philistines, the enemies of God's people. How many know it's one thing to go back to the enemy's camp? It's not a good idea when you're carrying the sword of their champion. And you can't, like, it's not like concealed carry. I mean, David walks in, and everybody's going, dude, whose sword is that? They automatically know whose sword that is. It's Goliath's sword. And look what the Bible says that they begin to do. The officers of Achish were unhappy about David's being there. And this is what they said. Isn't David the king of the land, they asked? Isn't he the one of the the people honor with dances? Saul has killed his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. David's hearing them rehearse all of this, and David's no dummy. He puts two and two together, and he goes, I need to get out of Dodge, but I don't know how to get out of Dodge. And so imagine this. This man who was anointed king, the Bible says, now gets an Emmy Award for best actor, all right? He pretends like he's insane, and he starts scratching on the door like an animal, and slobbering so that spit is running down his face. He's acting like he's out of his mind. And it must have been an incredible acting job. I mean, he would have a a trophy on his shelf for this because look at what it says in the Bible. Verse 14, finally Achish said to his men, must you bring me a madman? I love this next verse. We already have enough of them around here. (laughs) The king's like, seriously? Why you bring this clown in my presence? I got enough of the people like this to deal with in my country. Get him out of here. And they they manhandle David, and they throw him out. And look what it says in the next verse, 1 Samuel 22, verse 1. So David left Gath, and he escaped to the cave of Adullam. That's where David writes... This psalm, Psalm 34, which we're going to get to in just a moment. But let me ask you this question. Why is it that you and I end up in caves in our life, cave seasons in our life? Sometimes, first point, we get there because of the sins of other people. Have any of you ever spent some time in a dark place? It wasn't because of your wrongdoing. It was because of others' wrongdoing against you. Maybe there were words spoken against you. Maybe there were vicious attacks. Maybe people were negative, critical. Maybe somebody tried to hurt you physically. Maybe somebody got you fired from work. 
Uh, maybe you went through a painful divorce and you didn't want to go through the divorce. You wanted to reconcile, but your spouse didn't want to reconcile. I mean, how do you know there's a million things in life we encounter that have nothing directly to do with us, but we walk through the pain of other people's bad choices. Have any of you ever been doing some cave time because of that? Probably most of us. But here's the other situation. Sometimes it's as a result of our own sin. Have any of you ever made bad decisions like David did, where you're going, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? Can't tell you how many men I've talked to that have uh, made very poor decisions that have cost them a lot. It might have cost them their marriage. It might have cost them their families. It might have cost them their integrity. Um, we make bad decisions along the way. Here's the good news. Aren't you glad that whether you're in the cave because of reason number one or reason number two, God still redeems people from the cave. God is absolutely committed to using that experience, whether it was done against you or whether it was done because of on your own sin and your own stupidity, my own stupidity. I talked to a man this morning, and he reminded me of the verse in the Bible that says this, you know, we're sometimes like a dog that returns to its own vomit. Ugh, what a powerful description. You've all seen that cute little puppy that just got done licking your face that went over and ate its own puke, and you're going... Those are those moments when you think that face licking is not really that cute because you know why? It ain't that cute. You don't know what's been in that dog's mouth. I mean, you know, people tell you dogs have some of the cleanest mouths. Prove it. <laughs> Any puke-eating dog is not going to be licking my face. I'm just telling you that. But hey, the Lord says this. Even after we've gone back to our own vomit, God is ready to redeem and to restore and to forgive. What an amazing God we serve. So open up your Bible to Psalm 34. We're going to dissect that this morning. We're going to suck all the juice out of this passage that David wrote while in a cave. And I want you to keep this in mind. David is writing these words at the lowest point of his life. Now, how many of you in this room are still in your 20s? Wave at me. You're in your 20s. A lot of you. All right. How many of you would still like to be in your 20s? All right. We're gonna, all right. Good. All right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, all right. All right, this is for every 20-year-old in this room. David was anointed king as a teenager and spent the majority of the decade of his 20s running for his stinking life. just want to encourage all you 20-year-olds out there, right? Because some of you might be thinking... I'm not sure I fully understand God's purpose for my life. I'm not sure I fully can put my mind around the calling of God on my life. Relax. God might still be training you a little bit. You might have to run from a few armies. You might have to deal with a few pits along the way. But you're just in your 20s. I mean, you know, David still sat on that throne. God's word was still true. He just had to go through a season where God had to squeeze a few things out of him and break a few bad habits along the way. God's going to do the same with us. David writes this psalm in two, two major headings. The first part is his testimony, and the second part is his teaching. Now, let me just say this morning, it's always good to have a testimony before you try to teach. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is you have to be before and do before you teach. You, you have to live it out before you can teach others with the full anointing. You can give people principles, but how many of you have seen when you watch somebody walk through the the hard times, they've done some time in the cave. When those people come out, and they come out with a smile on their face and, and a badge, they, they've, they've got the best student award in, the, in God's cave. They've graduated with honors from the cave. You listen to those people. How many of you remember when Sister Eva Edel was here, who had been in, in a concentration camp? 
when you have a woman who's spent time in a concentration camp teaching about forgiveness? There is a weightiness on her speech because of what she's lived through. That's why, hear me on this, never let your injustices done against you be wasted. They're some of your greatest testimonies of the mercy of God and the goodness of God and the forgiveness of God. Don't let them go to waste. They're some of our biggest platforms for ministry. So let's take a look, first of all, at David's testimony. I'm just going to put a hi- some highlights, some verses. We're not going to go through this verse by verse for the sake of time this morning, but I'm going to highlight a few verses very quickly, and then I'm going to tie them with some lifelines that we learned, okay? And then we're going to pull out some principles in the second half. But I'm reading from the, the Passion Translation. How many of you have been introduced yet to the Passion Translation? Great translation, colorful translation, accurate translation. I think one that you'll really enjoy if you haven't picked that up to do your read through the Bible in a year kind of thing, check it out. Listen to what it says in verse 4. David says, listen to my testimony. I cried to God in my distress, and he answered me, and he freed me from all my fears. And then in verse 6, David shares a little bit more about his background. He says, when I had nothing, anybody ever been there? I was desperate. I was defeated. I cried out to the Lord, and he heard me, And he brought his miracle deliverance when I needed it the most. I just want to tell you this morning, this this perfectly describes your emotional state when you're going through a cave season. You're discouraged, you're distressed, you're fearful, you're desperate, and you're defeated. Anybody ever been there? This is David's emotional makeup at the start of this psalm. He's just testifying. This is what I'm going through. And look at what he begins to do. He begins to build a case for how he got through that season. Look what he says in verse 5 with me. Gaze upon him. Gaze upon the Lord. And join your life with his. And joy will come. What is gazing upon the Lord? I shared with you, gazing upon the Lord is to make sure we have a quiet time. It's to make sure we have face time with God. David said when you're feeling discouraged, depressed, distressed, broken down, uh, full of depression, gaze upon the Lord. Get your eyes off of here and get your eyes up here. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You can look at the valleys or you can choose to gaze upon the greatness of God. David chose to gaze. The second thing he chose to do in that verse we just read was he joined his life with God's. Now this is the way I pray sometimes with people at the altar. If you're going through a difficult season and you're a believer, sometimes you're just making the assumption that God is in the middle of everything with you, in the middle of your situation. I don't want you to make that assumption. I want you to intentionally invite the Lord into the mess, into the storm. In fact, we pray that way. People say, man, my life's out of control. This is going on. That's going on. I feel like I'm in the middle of a storm. What happened in the Bible when there were storms happening? People made sure Jesus was in the boat. So what we say is simply, let's consciously, intentionally invite Jesus into the boat. How do you know Jesus loves to be invited? I mean, he can kick down whatever wall he wants. He can walk through walls, but he loves to be invited. So what happens when you're in the storm? Invite him in. Be joined together with him and his strength, and God begins to move. Invite him into the middle. That's called surrender. That's called consecration. Look at what happens next in the next verse. 
This will, you're all going to get happy before we end here because I started you off in a cave, but you're going to get really excited about what's happening. Look at what comes next. The angel of the Lord stooped down to listen as I prayed, encircling me, empowering me, and showing me how to escape. And it gets better. He will do this for everyone who fears the Lord. And some of you, Pastor, I'm not sure about all that angel stuff. You better be sure about all that angel stuff. Because David said this, While I began to pray and gaze upon the Lord, the angel of the Lord began to show up. What did he do? As I prayed, I mean, you know, our job is to pray. The angel encircled me. He empowered me. He filled me with strength. He showed me how to get out of the mess that I'm in. Now, I don't know if that angel was physically seen, if David could see it, or if David just sensed the Shekinah presence of God. How many of you know in your darkest places when you sense the Lord's nearness, when you go to him? But this is what I'm telling you today. If you're in a cave right now and you pray to the Lord and you invite him in, I want you to thank him that an angel has been sent that is encircling you, that is empowering you, that is giving you wisdom on how to get out of the cave and will do this for all of God's people because God is no respecter of persons. I just told you in the midst of your cave, you have special help sent from the Lord. The Bible says angels are ministering spirits sent by God to help his people. Now, what would it do if you're in the middle of the cave and you're overwhelmed to simply remind yourself, as I'm crying out to God, God is sending help. In fact, the presence of the Lord in the person of the angelic host is here now on my behalf. Well, pastor, how do you know that? Read your Bible and believe it. Well, pastor, is that for everybody? He will do this for... Okay, read that last part with me together. I just want to make sure we get our spirit. He will do this for everyone who fears God. He will do this for everyone. Now personalize it. He will do this for... How many of you believe that? I'm giving you cave secrets. Believe that the power of the angelic host is working on your behalf. That God doesn't need to send them all. One will do just fine. Amen? One is enough. It gets better. Drink deeply. Look at verse 8. Drink deeply of the pleasures of this God. Experience for yourself the joyous mercies he gives to all who turn to hide themselves in him. Hide yourself in him. What does God give to those who hide in him? It's like putting your face in your dad's chest as a little kid, and he wraps you up in your coat, and you're you're completely hidden close to his heart. God wants to hide us in him and deliver the goods. Those who drink deeply from the pleasures of God, what's that mean? That means in the midst of what I'm going through, Lord, you're my source. You're my satisfaction. These other things don't make me happy. God, I trust in you. God, you're all that I need. That, that kind of love talk in the midst of hell is what pleases the Lord. It shows what you're made of. So you begin to thank God and tell God how much joy and pleasure you find in him, even in the midst of your pain. Let's go to the next verse. This is getting good. Worship in awe and wonder, verse 9. Look at verse 10. Those who passionately pursue the Lord will never lack any good thing. 
Now, some of you should start connecting the dots here. How many of you would like to not lack any good thing in your life? What's the secret? Passionately pursue God. So if, if we want this thing to work, and what's David doing? In the midst of this burden, in the midst of, his, of life-threatening situations, he's worshiping and writing a praise song. What's that all about? He's passionately pursuing God. God promises those that pursue him, passionately pursue him, you will not lack any good thing. You might be lacking now. You might be going without now. You might be in a situation now where, you, where things are not connecting. But if you'll stay connected to the Lord, God says, you will not lack any good thing. This is some great news right here. For those who gaze upon the Lord. For those who love the Lord. And David moves from a posture of testifying. All he's doing now, he's saying, this is what God did for me. This is what God did for me. God filled me with joy. I went in there depressed. God filled me with joy. God sent his angel. God reminded me of his favor. God reminded me that this is not forever. God reminded me this is temporary. He's rehearsing his testimony. And now in verse 11, he begins to shift into some teaching. Look at what he says in verse 11. Come, children of God, talking to us, listen to me. I'll share the lesson that I've learned of fearing the Lord. So here's David's, what I like to call David's cave notes. These are, these are the principles, and I want to encourage you as we go through these, the devil will constantly attack two things. He attacks the character of God, and he makes God try to be less than glorious. Anybody ever experienced that? And he attacks your faith because he doesn't want you to have confidence in God. And so the things that David learns, the principles from the cave that I'm going to share with you are principles that you need to confess and rehearse when you are going through a difficult season. Take a look at the first one here. This is good. I read it in verse 15. The Lord sees. The Lord sees, the Bible says, all that we do. He watches over his friends day and night. The biggest lie when you're in a painful, dark scenario, the biggest lie is that God doesn't even know you exist. How many of you have that one playing in your brain? And how many of you have even said in a moment of honesty, God, do you even recognize I'm here? Hello? Hello? Where are you? Anybody ever been there? You don't have to raise your hand. Just nod your head. Kevin, thank you for your honesty. I've been there. What do you need to know most when you're feeling like God doesn't see or God doesn't care? That the Lord is watching. And check this out. Are you a friend of God? That's a good question, isn't it? Are you a friend? I mean, I'm asking you. Friend? Friend? Friend or foe? How many of you know there's only friends or foes? There's no, like, lukewarm. There's only a friend or foe. You're either gathering or you're scattering. You're a friend or you're a foe. I'm asking you seriously. Do do you know you're a friend of God? If you know you're a friend of God, what does that verse say? Go ahead, back, sweetheart. That verse doesn't say anything right there. He sees you. I said, sweetheart, because that's my daughter back there. I'm not flirting with the lady in the sound booth. All right. Next one. There we go. The Lord watches over his friends day and night. When you're sound asleep, your father is looking at you. Your father is watching you. When you're going through your day, your father is watching you. But I don't feel like he sees. Who cares what you feel like? Start to believe what the word of God says. God says he sees you. You're his friend. He's got his eyes on you night and day. This is great news. This helps you get out of the cave. 
Otherwise, you have a pity party in the cave. You invite all your friends. You get a cake. No, don't celebrate the cave. Celebrate the God who sees you in the cave. Look at the next one. Another lie from the devil. God's not listening to me. God's not hearing me. It's a lie from the pit of hell. Look at verse 17. When holy lovers of God cry out to him with all their hearts, the Lord will hear them. God, I just don't know if you're listening. When holy lovers of God cry out with all their hearts, God says, I heard you. Here's here's what the Lord's not into, religious prayers. Well, God, I just thank you that you're God, and um, I just ask you to bless me today. I think that about covers it. Uh, Amen. In your most holy, highest, most reverend, awesome name, Hallelujah, amen. And then you walk out the door. God's like, oh. You know the kind of prayers that God really loves? How about this? Real ones. How about when you're in the pit and someone's actually trying to kill you? Like, pray that way. Like, you're going to die if God doesn't answer. Pray that way. Like, if I can't get healed, I'm going to die. Pray that way. Pray like a desperate, hungry, God-seeking, God-needing person. And God goes, whoa, I hear that. Not the religious drivel. It's just like the drool on David's beard. God is not looking for religious drivel running out of our mouths. He's looking for genuine, heartfelt people who are crying out to him. God says, those are the people that I hear. Holy lovers of God who cry out to him with all their hearts. I have this theory. Do you know when David's in that cave with 400 men who are all in the same situation, broke down, depressed, discouraged, financially broke, going nowhere. They're running for their lives because they're hooked up with David and they're in that cave. David's not having a quiet time by some rock in the corner. David's saying, God Almighty, I am worshiping you. You are my rock. You are my fortress. You're my high tower. God, you're the one who brings me pleasure. Can you imagine what it sounds like in that cave, echoing through that cave? How did these 400 broke-down men become champions of the Most High God, willing to lay their life down for David? I bet they listened to David's prayer life on a regular basis. They said, that guy is wired. That guy is connected to the real God. We're with him. We'll fight for that guy. If the angel of God Almighty is encircling him, we're on his team. You hear what I'm saying? They heard the cries of this righteous man, and God, most importantly, God heard the cries. This is what I'm talking about, being genuine with God in your times with him. When you're going through a trouble, trouble getting your family together, I prayed with a woman and her three sons right now that, that our church is helping, putting them up, helping with some food until she can get settled. I, I felt, here's what I felt impressed to do. I said, man, bring your three sons up here so they can learn to fight with you. Yes, you don't have a home right now. Yes, things are tight right now. Yes, you're a single mom trying to raise these boys right now. But you're not going to stay there. Boys, let's come on. Learn how to fight with mama. Let's stand in agreement with mom. Let's believe that even the hardship and lack that you're experiencing now is not to destroy you, but to harden you and to teach you how to be men of God and how to, and how to offer a whole different legacy perhaps next time around as you have a chance to marry and have children. Y'all hear what I'm saying? 
It's about being real. God hears the cries of real people, holy lovers of God. I love this next one. The devil says, God isn't near to you. Where is he? He, You haven't found a goosebump in a year. Where's God? God's not caring about you. He's not close to you. Well, that's not what God says. Look at verse 18. The Lord is close to all whose hearts are crushed by pain. And he is always ready to restore the one or the repentant one. Who is the Lord close to? Listen to me. If you're here this morning and your heart has been crushed and you're here this morning full of pain, I had a woman first service come up for prayer, tears running down her cheeks. She said, you absolutely read my mail today. She had been through the biggest fight of her life physically. God brought her out on the other side, tears of joy running down her face. She learned how to fight in the midst of the cave. I'm just telling you this, that when I've gone through my cave seasons in my life, and I've had a few of them, and I've had some, I've I've stayed at the extended cave motel, all right? Not just the the overnight one. I had some extended cave times. Do you know there was a season after a time of brokenness and crushing in my life when people would come up for prayer? I could not pray for anybody for anything without crying. And you know why I cried? Because I felt their pain. Before the crushing, not so much. After the crushing, I was, my pain cells were heightened. I, I was awakened to what's going on in the lives of other people. You know, I told you last week, I was just with Pastor Brock, and the last session he did for all these frontline healthcare workers, you know, the ones that are caring for some elderly people that may not be feeling well, that might not always thank them, or might not always be, be in the best of moods because they're in pain or they're hurting. Uh, he showed a picture that was so powerful. It was a picture from World War II, and there were four sons in the picture. Three of them were wearing army, um, army attire, and the youngest son was wearing Navy attire. Turns out that the man that he invited to be at the meeting that day was 99 years old, war veteran from World War II, still surviving, 99 years of age, and a resident in the senior facility there, uh, that we were, the group that we were speaking to. He told the story of that picture. He said, you know, when my three brothers were uh, recruited, uh, the military came to us and they said, look, your family's already paid. It was kind of like saving private right. Your family's already paid a big enough price. This fourth boy does not need to go into the military. And this man who's now 99 said, oh, no, no, no. You're not going to rob me out of the privilege of fighting for my country. This man is sitting right in the back of the room. He told Pastor Brock the story of During World War II, their assignment was to take a vessel that was full of two tons of dynamite that was encased in rubber and affixed to the inside of the ship, and they were to run that ship into a body of land that was a narrow body of land to blow a hole in it so that that they wouldn't have to go around it, they can go through it, all right? I guess it was a strategic point and whatever, with time and whatever. So it turns out that the enemy forces got wind of what was going on, and, and they tried to do it under the cover of night, but they heard about it. So all these enemy planes coming in, bombing this ship, shooting at this ship. Trying, he, he said if, if one bullet hits that, that two tons of dynamite, he said that water would still be rocking today. That's how much explosive there were. And they fought all through the night, and when the sunrise came up, Everybody's still alive. They go outside. They look at that ship. It is riddled with bullets. In fact, when the planes would get hit, they would become kamikaze bombers and try to dive bomb right into the, into the boat to blow it up. 
He said that when they inspected the rubber that the dynamite was encased in, bullets had gone through the outside into the rubber and stopped just shy of, di- of the dynamite blast. He said it was absolutely a miracle that we're alive. Now, this is Pastor Brock's point. Nobody in the room knew that man's story, but they're there to care for this man. And his point was, if we would take the time to learn people's stories and to hear people's pain and to hear people's sacrifices and to know what people have personally gone through, instead of being so quick to judge people, criticize people, attack people, if we take the time to listen to people, we could identify with their pain. And if we could identify with their pain, we could step alongside of them, just like the Lord is trying to do. And we could love people to life. After he shared that story, I'll guarantee you the people that were assigned to caring for that man looked at him with completely different eyes. And if he had a bad day, they could probably give him some grace. If he was going through some pain and maybe not as cheerful that day, they could probably love him anyway. You know why? Because they were in the presence of greatness. I'm just telling you, the people sitting next to you in this room are really great people. They love the Lord. They're trying to do their best to love their kids, to love their spouses. They really are. They're great people. You're sitting next to someone that's great. And our job is to take the time to get to know these people, get into their world, But I simply want to remind you, if you're crushed this morning under the weight of life, the Lord is so incredibly close to you. And if you've had a week from hell, in fact, you've acted like hell this week, there's good news because God is waiting to restore the repentant person. I've seen people before, they thought, Pastor, I've sinned too much, I've fallen back too far, I'm too far away. That's a lie. The Lord is waiting, waiting, waiting to come rushing into your pain. The moment you'll turn to him and repent of what you've been up to, God will heal your heart. God will deliver you. God will set you free. Isn't that an amazing God we serve? The Lord is close. Look at the next one. I only got two more. The Lord saves and protects. Even when bad things happen to the good and godly ones, The Lord will save them and not let them be defeated by what they face. Look at verse 20. God will be your bodyguard to protect you when trouble is near. How many of you are excited a little bit that you just found out you had a bodyguard? His name's God. When you're in the pit, you have a bodyguard. When you're trying to live a righteous life and you're still in a pit, Maybe a pit that you didn't create? I got good news for you. When good things happen to godly people, the Lord's going to save you, and he's not going to let you be defeated by what just happened. You know, I was having a conversation with my mama yesterday. We were just talking about life. My mom is, as you all know, she's a deep, deep well. I like to get up next to her and just let her spill on me, and there's always wisdom that comes out, interspersed with humor and uh, pants wetting experience when we laugh so hard. Anyway, that's probably too much information. But anyway, those are the things that we do in our family. But my mom was just being honest, and she said, you know, she said, uh, you know, sometimes I, I've wondered out loud with the Lord, Lord, what, you know, what are you doing? And why did this happen? And, you know, you remember, 
the Sunday when they had the head-on collision, or the day when they had the head-on collision, my dad just rebroke all the eight ribs that had just healed. My mom fractured a vertebrae in her neck, uh, head-on collision. They were on their way to church. They're coming to church. We're going to church. Any of you know what I'm talking about? And you begin to say, God, what's going on? We don't have the full information as what's going on yet. Our job is to trust and to honor the Lord and do all those things we've just been talking about. But here's what God promises. You know, first of all, bad things happen to good and godly people. You know, we all got to walk through together, Steve and Brittany, a year ago, coming up on a year ago at the passing of Little Alden. And I love the way Steve and Brittany processed that whole thing. The pain mixed with the hope. The sadness mixed with the joy. The, 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 the challenge and the hurt of the moment mixed with the confidence that God is fully in charge and we trust him. But this is what I love. If you, if you don't go through the pain, you never get to come out on the other side and see the restoration of what God promises. You know, Steve and Brittany just found out they're expecting a little girl. And they're going to name her after my mom's mom. I love the way God weaves together generations of faithfulness. Because this, this little girl is going to come with a, a package story of God's healing and restoration. We tell in our family, we, we had a miscarriage right between uh, Joel and Katie. And if we hadn't had the miscarriage, there probably wouldn't have been a Katie. I, I'm just grateful for Katie. I'm excited to meet the, the tiebreaker in heaven. Because uh, child number nine is going to be waiting for us. But we don't understand the mercies of God. But I don't know what you've gone through or the pain you've experienced. But God says even his good, good folks, godly folks, that God will bring you from a place of defeat into a place of victory. He'll bring you from a place of agony to a place of restoration. That in the midst of your pain is when he is the closest. And if you'll trust him in the pain and learn some lessons in the darkness of the cave, You'll come outside of the cave, and you'll see the goodness of God in the land of the living. That is the promise of God. This child is going to be incredibly, incredibly special. Is Lauren's story public yet? Is your story public yet, or is it going to be public now, or is it going to be public later? I'm just being real with you. Because godly people go through caves. You know, Lauren went in for uh, ultrasound, on the baby, and they pulled a doctor in. They said, hey, you know, it's nothing to worry about, but there is a complication. Evidently, the, the baby's intestines were on the outside of the body. They said sometimes just they end up all getting back in place. Don't worry about it. Time went on. Another ultrasound. They said, you know, you're going to definitely have to have deliver this baby up in Chicago, one of the specialty hospitals, because, um, you know, it's, it's going to be some complications. How many of you know when you get that news, it makes you step back, and find God in the midst of news you didn't want to hear. But how I many you know God's still faithful? And God is still true. And whatever happens, we're going to keep loving and keep serving and keep moving ahead. Whatever caves we have to momentarily go through, if we don't have good cave theology and some good cave notes from David, we would not be able to navigate ourselves through there. But thank God David came out on the other side. And thank God his promises are for us. 
Well, we had an elders and pastors meeting at our home, and, and uh, everybody gathered around Lauren, just prayed for her one more time, and just said, God, we trust you, and it's beautiful how the Holy Spirit works. Somebody had a, a vision, somebody else had a word of knowledge, and it's just beautiful, the movement of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and, uh, and we're like, praise the Lord, you know, you get up, you move on. So she goes in for the next ultrasound. Nothing is the matter with this baby. It's completely healed. <laughs> now, come on. Thank you, Lord. Let me tell you something profound. Why do we have some situations that don't end the way that we hoped? Other situations that go exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or think? I don't know. But God knows. And He's faithful. And we can trust Him. And even when we don't understand this side of eternity, we will fully understand on the other side. And what we will do is we will give praise to God for his wisdom, his unbelievable wisdom that we have never even seen or experienced. You know, Mom was saying, if they hadn't hit that corner at that time, at that time of the morning with, uh, you know, whatever, the, all the scenarios, if they would have been delayed just 30 seconds, it would have been a completely different outcome. So God knows what he's allowing to happen, and he has a purpose in it. But here's the other question. How many times did we just miss the accident by the 30 seconds because of a divine delay? You know, we have to balance out the mercies of God with the difficult times that we go through. And I guarantee you what we'll find out is that the mercies far will exceed whatever suffering we've had to go through. God's mercies, when all is said and done, the time that you were sick and you felt, felt so horrible and you had to have others around you because you couldn't even think to pray, your brain or your headache was hurting or whatever. What about all those terrible diseases that went right by you that you weren't even aware of, but God was protecting you? You know, if we focus on the mercy of God and the goodness of God and the kindness of God and the promises of God and we trust Him on, the, on what we think are the good innings and what we think are also the not-so-good innings if we just stay in a place of, of strength and confidence and trust. It's amazing what God wants to reveal to us. So I'm just grateful for all that God is doing, for the opportunities that he's giving our family to walk out what we're preaching this morning. Last verse, verse 22, the Lord has paid for the freedom of his servants, and he will freely pardon those who love him. He will declare them free and innocent when they turn to hide themselves in him. This is the last invitation, or at least an invitation from our time this morning, that if you're far from God today, his promise to you is return to him. He's not here to slap you, judge you, hurt you, 
he's here to send freedom to you. Look at the promises. He's already paid for our freedom, and he's going to pardon all those who love him. Full pardon to where he declares you innocent. Not just forgiven. How many know there's a difference between forgiveness and innocence? When he declares you innocent, it means like if, as if you never sinned before. You have a clean slate. You're innocent, not guilty. You're innocent. This is the season that we celebrate as we come to the cross, as we come to Good Friday and think about what Jesus did for us, as we come to Resurrection Sunday. There's freedom this morning for those of you who are bound and need to be set free. We're going to have our team up here. We want to pray for you. If you don't know Jesus this morning, we want to pray for you. If you are dealing with a, a physical situation where you need a miracle, God is in the miracle business and he wants to heal and he's close to you. If you're full of pain this morning, God's heart is close to you. I want you to stand to your feet this morning with me. Just wait a minute, Ben. Let's pray. Lord, we just ask you to move by your spirit and to bring strength to us, Lord, especially those who are in a really dark place right now, especially those that are really hurting right now. Lord, we're asking that you be very near to them. And God, remind us of these incredible truths that you see, that you hear, that you're close, that you forgive, that you bring freedom, that you surround us, you're our bodyguard, that your angels are ministering all around us even now. God, I pray that where there's chaos and confusion, that there would be clarity and order in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray that where there's brokenness, that you begin ministering healing. Lord, where there's broken bodies, that you begin to release your power and your glory, Lord, to touch right now. Lord, for those that don't know you this morning, what a great opportunity. What a great message of invitation. So, Lord, we just pray that salvation would come to many this morning who might be distant from you, Lord. We thank you for your mercy, God. We thank you for your mercy. We praise you in the midst of the storm. We invite you into our storms right now. And we thank you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. You know, we've got marriage class at 4 o'clock today. I encourage you to come out. If, you've got, if you need prayer, I want you, before I, I cut you loose, slip out right now if you need prayer. I want our leadership team to come up here if you need prayer.